Ecclesiastes 2, today, verses 22 to 26. Today's message title, Can and Should a Christian Enjoy Life? Do you remember where we ended last week after looking at uh, down from verse uh, 12 or so to verse 21? Did it end on a high note? Did it end on a happy note? It ended on this note. You're going to die. And everything that you work for, it's going to someone else. Let's pray. And that was how he <laughs> ended last, that's how I ended last week's sermon. Um, why didn't I finish it? Because there, there's an, an important thing that we need to see here. And I wanted to take significant time, a whole message to really uh, teach through this, uh, to help you, uh, to, to teach you um, about life. Because it can be easy to have a negative outlook. Um, throughout human history, people find meaning in life through a number of different ways. Uh, sometimes, as I've talked about, they find meaning in life like, I just I need to have this. I need to get that. Um, you can see this in a number of ways. Um, cell phones can be one example. Every year, a new iPhone comes out, a new Samsung phone comes out, a new name the brand comes out. And the feeling then is, what I have now is not the best, so therefore I must drop $1,000 again this year after I did last year so that I can have the latest and the greatest. And that can happen with cars and automobiles, you name it. That's one way that people look at meaning in life. Others say, well, I need to reach this goal. I need to get that position. I need to accomplish this. I need to reach this point. Then my life is fulfilled. Others say, you need to live in the moment. Live in the moment. And that's a trending kind of thing too. Just live in the moment. You've got to be in the moment. I was in the moment. Others will go the exact opposite direction. And they will say that the things of this physical existence are evil and we must shun them. Human history talks about those kinds of people, both unbelievers and believers. I put believers in quote there. There's a story I remember from church history, and it's fresh in my mind because one of our speakers at the convention, American Council's convention this week, was my church history teacher and seminary, Jerry Priest. Um, one of those men that I, I really look up to and I'm very thankful for. He's preached here a couple years ago. But in the course of our church history class, uh, there were certain individuals, Roman Catholics, who felt that they needed to uh, do away with certain physical enjoyments in order to really be close to God. And so this guy put himself on this pedestal way up high, and he stayed up there for a really long time. I don't remember how long it was. And can you imagine what you would look like, what you'd smell like? They need have food shuttled up to him. Um, you know, there's just a lot of questions of normal human living that I'm not going to ask, but you could probably figure out. But he thought... By doing away and not living with those things, I'm having meaning and purpose in my life. What does sin do to everything in creation? 
What does sin do to everything in creation? Well, it affects the quality of it, doesn't it? Things break down. It affects our enjoyment of them. Sin affects your assessment and view of the things of this creation. And that's why what Solomon writes here in verse chapter 2, verses 22 to 26 is extremely important. Let's look at this passage. Number 1, verses 22 and 23. Solomon asks, For what has man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart with which he's toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. He says here, number one in your sheets, he says enjoyment, enjoyment in this life cannot be found in life. Enjoyment in life cannot be found in life. And I'm, he's thinking here, just focusing on this existence and that's it. You're not going to find true enjoyment of life if you're only looking at this life. If that's all that you're focusing on right now. Solomon recognizes two facts. Number one, the first fact that he says here is that the things of this life have no ultimate lasting. That's your blank there for number one. The things of this life, Solomon recognizes, is that things of this life do not have ultimate lasting advantage. After you've written that in, look back at verse 22. What has man for all his labor and for the striving which his heart with which he's toiled under the sun. Go back to chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. Where Solomon begins, remember, he's giving the kind of plan for the book in verse 3. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? And what does he say in verse 22, chapter 2? Practically the same thing. He's repeating himself. And that's what preachers do. They say it, they say it again, and then they what? Say it again. And that's what he does. He said at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 3, he's saying at the end of this part, chapter 2 and verse 22. What do you get for all your labor and all your worries? He asks. What do you get for all your labor and all your worries? The fruits of labor are never permanent. They're here today, gone tomorrow. He talks about the striving of his heart in the middle of verse 22. It's referring to concerns, anxiety, worries. And what do concerns, anxieties, when you're worrying about something and that's all you're thinking about and that's what you're focused on, what does it accomplish? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 34? It doesn't do anything. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, Jesus said. So number two, verse 23 the only lasting results of this life are hardships. The only lasting results of this life are hardships. He says, all his days are sorrows, his work is burdensome. Even in the night, his heart takes no rest. Why is that so? Solomon talked about this earlier. This is so because of God's curse on every aspect of human life because of God's curse on human existence 
Because man sinned, what happens to this earth? We have difficulty, continued difficulty. What did God say in Genesis 3? That's going to grow thorns and thistles. And you're going to have to continually throughout your life struggle with those. Not only that, God said as a result of his curse, not only are you going to have continued difficulty, but it is going to have a limited duration. It will only last a bit of time. Where did God say that? God said to Adam, dust you are, and to dust you will return. It only, you only last a little while. From sunup to sundown, life involves struggle, difficulty, disappointment, grief, and pain. And so what do we sometimes do to get away from it? Well, Solomon says here, even in the night, his heart takes no rest. What do you do sometimes? You just had a hard day. You say, I just want to go to bed. I just want to go to bed to escape, to get away, to get free from it. And what happens? You go to sleep thinking about it. You might wake up in the middle of the night and you think about it. And then when you wake up in the morning, guess what? You think about it. You might even dream about it in the night. Well, that didn't really help. When you come right down to it, the only result is unending, painful labor and restless nights. What does Solomon say? This too is vanity. In other words, it is frustrating to make sense of it all. I am putting my all. You do this. You put your all and your effort into it. And things don't work out. And you get pressures. And this nut is doing that, which affects your ability. And then when you get done, it doesn't work out right. And it doesn't last. Oh, I'm going to go to bed. I just can't stop thinking about this. And when that is your focus, Solomon says, you will never find true enjoyment in this life. It is a continual cycle, ongoing. You work, you work, you work. And then it will all pass away. It's going to go to someone else. So what should you do in light of these facts? I'm going back now to the beginning of this section. What should you do in light of the fact, verses 15 to 16, that everyone's going to die, whether you're a fool or wise, whether you're rich or poor? What should you do in light of the facts of verses 18 to 21? That everything that you do is going to be surrendered to someone else. And you don't have, once you're dead, you don't have the ability to say to that person, you are no longer worthy of it, I'm going to take it back. What are you going to do, verses 22 and 23, the fact that this whole life experience is hard, it's difficult. Well, Solomon says in the next part, verses 24 to 26, he's going to say you need to change where you are looking. You need to change where you're looking for meaning. You need to change where you're looking for purpose and significance in life. So number two, when you know the Lord, you can truly enjoy life. When you know the Lord, you can truly enjoy life. We're going to read verse 24 to 26 again. 
Nothing is better for a man that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat, and who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting, that he may give to him who is good before God. This is also vanity and grasping for the wind. Now, what I'm going to do is, I am not going to go down through this verse by verse. Rabbit trail, I kind of get a chuckle sometimes internally when a pastor or a, a, a ministry says, our, our, my ministry is characterized by verse by verse teaching. I know what they're saying. But remember, when were the verse numbers created? Just a few hundred years ago, okay? We preach the word of God. That's what's meant by that, okay? So it's fine. Um, I want you to look with me. What's the first word in verse 25? Four. What's the first word in verse 26? Four. So he's given some reasons here, okay? Uh, he's, giving a re he's giving reasons for verse 24. That's why if you look at your numbering here, I'm going to begin at verse 25, and then verse 26, and then we're going to get verse 24, okay? Verse 25. Who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? Number one, knowing Christ is essential to enjoying life. Knowing Christ is essential to enjoying life. Now right now, uh, if you were listening to Ryan reading the scripture, or how about this, take your bulletin at the very front. This, uh, the, the front Scripture is, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen that is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment? And then what do you see next? Without him, and you look, if you've got a New King James or a King James, and what do you read at the end of verse 2, 25? More than I. What's going on here? I know what it is. Pastor has a point, and so he's going to, to make his point. He is going to go into the Bible, and he's going to change the word, of, the word of God so that he can make his point. Yeah, that's what I do, right? No, it's not. So what's going on here? I, are, I don't know if I've ever really done this before on a Sunday morning. We're going to have some fun with Hebrew. Are you excited? Remember what I said last week? I never write Hebrew, and I'm going to do it. Two weeks in a row, so you're in for a treat. Isn't this exciting? Oh boy, got some graffiti on the board here. Ryan, last two words in verse 25 from the New American Standard says, and those of you who have the New King James or the King James, the last few words in verse 25 are, okay, so what's going on? Who's right? Okay. I'm going from memory, so don't critique me, but then you don't know Hebrew, so I'm okay, right? <laughs> so, no, I did it wrong. Me. Then. Here it goes. The maze. The maze. 
can't remember how it's this letter I can't remember. What what matters for today is this, okay? Trust me. I'll show you afterwards if you want to see it in my Hebrew Bible. What matters is this. Um, there's a textual issue. Now, is our confidence... Um, well, when, let me back up. When, when God moved the biblical authors to write inspiration so that the result was what they wrote was inspired, inerrant, and authoritative. Did they write in... English of 2022. In the Old Testament, they wrote in Hebrew. In the New Testament, they wrote in Greek. Old Testament, Hebrew, and Aramaic, but that's beside the point. Okay. So Solomon wrote in what language? English? Greek? He wrote in Hebrew. Okay. How do we have what he wrote? Because people copied the scriptures. Now, what Solomon wrote was exactly what God wanted written. And God protected Solomon from making any errors. So that what Solomon wrote was exactly what God wanted written. He had no errors whatsoever. That promise against making errors, it did not extend to the copiers, the people who copied it. And right away we might go, eh, but the fact is that there is not a single case where you have two manuscripts hand copied, they agree exactly. Because who's making the hand copies? Human beings. And human beings can make what? Mistakes. Okay, now, that said, the amount of agreement is just amazing. God's providence there. What we have here is there are manuscripts that say this, and this is represented by the New King James and the King James. And then you have in other manuscripts and this is driving me nuts that I can't remember what this uh, letter is right here. And you have a, a noon, the end sound. And then this. The difference between this and this, these are just letters, okay? Uh, but this represents me. Remember the New King James? More than I, okay? This represents him. It's a pronoun, okay? These are me and, and him here. So how can you make that, that kind of a difference? It wasn't intentional is a change that happened. And we have Hebrew manuscripts that show both. And so, how do you know which Hebrew manuscript it is? Well, the Hebrew manuscript of my English translation. No, that's not how you do it. Okay, You don't evaluate Hebrew and Greek manuscripts by your English translation. That's getting the cart before the horse here. Okay, How do you determine it? Well, there's a lot of things, a lot of technical things that I could go into. If you have a New King James, it does give some uh, items in the, the footnote there. But you know what else you need to look at? What must be king in our interpretation? Context. And the context here 
if you, you can forget all this, okay? The context is how in the book of Ecclesiastes, where is meaning and purpose and life found? Where did he end? Where does he, where will he end in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14? The end of the conclusion, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God keep his commandments and he also talks there about the the, the, the the careful enjoyment of life so all this to say verse 25 the better reading the better manuscript support would go towards what I put on the front of your bulletin there without him this is represented in your new King James in the footnote there who can eat or who can have enjoyment without the Lord without Christ the point is this. God designed life so that people would enjoy it with him. But if you don't have the Lord, guess what? You're not going to enjoy life like you should, like you ought to, like you could. Without God, you can't enjoy food because you'll never be satisfied with it. You always want more or drink or work. Solomon is going to repeat verses 24 to 26 Three other times in this book. If you want it, I'll give it to you right now. Chapter 3, verses um, 12 and 13. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. Chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. And then again in chapter 8 and verse 15. Chapter 8 and verse 15. The only way you'll truly enjoy things of the created order... Get this. The only way that you'll enjoy the things of this created order that are under the curse of what? Sin, including you, is if you are freed from sin. And how can you be freed from sin? What's the only way that you can be freed from sin? The Lord Jesus Christ. Your sins must be forgiven. You must have a new nature. You have to be born again. You have to have life. You have to have eyes open to see things correctly and to live as you ought so number one knowing christ is essential to enjoying life number two god blesses those who love him god blesses those who love him verse 26 god gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who's good in his sight but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who's good before god and then he says, this also is vanity and grasping for wind. So what's he saying here? Well, there's two kinds of people in this world. If you were in West Michigan, where my parents live, where I grew up, you would give a different answer than what you're going to give. How would we answer the question, there are two kinds of people in this world? Well, there's believers and unbelievers. If you're in West Michigan, there are two kinds of people in this world, Dutch and non-Dutch, because they're all Dutch out there. We need to remember that here. There, he's looking at two kinds of people. You must also remember chapter 1, verse 1. Who wrote this book? Solomon, while he was king, where? In Jerusalem. The historical kingdom of God was present. Solomon was ruling under God's authority. And what was in force? The Mosaic Law. And what did God promise through the Mosaic Law to everyone who believed and obeyed Him? They would receive blessings. But those who disobeyed Him would receive cursings. For as an example along this line, 
something else Solomon wrote. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Solomon said, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase, which is exactly what the law commanded. And then Solomon said, Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Have you ever known farmers here who were godly farmers, but yet had tragedy happen in their farming? Yep. This is helpful to, that's why it's helpful to understand the historical, what was going on then, and what was the theological context there, the Mosaic Law. Okay. Another passage you could write down, another passage you could write down, right along the lines with what Solomon says here is Matthew 5, 5. Matthew 5, 5. The meek shall inherit what? Well, Jesus had to have been thinking spiritually. He wasn't actually thinking the earth, right? No. Who was speaking there in Matthew 5 at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus, the king, and he's giving the character of those who will be in the kingdom. And he will say later in the sermon, in, the same, in those same Beatitudes, it will be, it will be to them, the king, they will receive the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying here, the meek will inherit what? The earth. Write down, for the sake of time, we won't read it, but Matthew, 5, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, also part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, where Jesus says, why are you worrying about what you're going to eat? Why are you worrying about the clothes that you're going to wear? Look at the birds. Look at the fields. Didn't God provide for them? God will provide for your needs, your tangible needs. And so you must seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when you do, these things will be added to you. At the end of verse 26, when Solomon says this is vanity and grasping for when, he remembers. He's kind of closing the entire section here. He remembers since everyone dies... The wise and the fool. Everyone surrenders their works to the unknown. He says, ultimately, it's above my pay grade to try to resolve these things. I must trust the Lord. Let me summarize what we've seen so far in these first two points. When you're rightly related to the God of creation, he blesses those who love him with the basic things of life. And when you recognize this, number three, you can enjoy the things of life as good gifts from God. You can enjoy the good things of life as good gifts of God. Then, now we finally get to verse 24. <laughs> Nothing's better for man that he should eat and drink, that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This I saw is from the hand of God. Nothing's better. So he's giving some good advice. This is top notch. Enjoy good. The point being, the best that you can do is eat, drink, and find enjoyment in your work. This all sounds materialistic. Stop a second. When God created Adam and Eve, how much sin was in the world? None. What did God tell Adam and Eve to do? Of any tree you can eat, do you think God made both the fruits and the vegetables and whatever else was there, and Adam and Eve's 
taste palate. Did I say that word right? So that they would taste something and they would say, oh, parsnips or oh, pickled beets. Well, they weren't pickled. Or whatever the case might be. Some of you hate bananas. Adam and Eve would have eaten all that stuff and they would have responded how to it. This is good. This is great. No sin was in the world. They would have had a right response and enjoyed it. And that would have glorified who? The Lord. They would have given thanks to him and glorified him for it. Furthermore, what did God tell Adam and Eve to do in the garden? Work. Till it. Keep it. And that's before sin came into this world. And so there was a brief time in human history when everything was perfect and man did work and it was good. Well, that's not the case anymore now, is it? Everything is under the curse of sin. Is it possible to enjoy the things of this, to truly enjoy the things of this life? Yeah, but you must be freed from the curse of sin and then you can enjoy the things of this life. When you trust in Christ and you live for him and Philippians 4, you're content in him and you give thanks for what God's given. You can eat food and say, thank you, Lord, for this. The beverages that we drink, the work that we do. A couple passages to write down along this line. It's not just Solomon who said this. Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9. Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry with goodness. Psalm 128, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 128, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, when you eat the labor of his hands, you will be happy and it shall be well with you. When you fear the Lord and you eat what you accomplish, it will be well with you. You can truly enjoy it. Do unbelievers get the frustrations? Do they get the frustrations and the struggles of life? Yeah, they sure do. Think about what the market is like right now. The stock market. I worked so hard to get ahead. The market's changing and I practically lost everything. If you have an IRA and you've looked at that, you see the value of those things? Oh my goodness. You can say, I put so many years into this, whether it might be a work, employment, uh, a company. There's new bosses, they new owners. And they completely destroyed everything. I just devoted my whole life to this. And it just kind of, man, unbelievers get it, don't they? They do. And how do unbelievers deal with these struggles? When they see it, it seems like it's a waste. A lot of different ways. They can go to substances that they put in their bodies to make them feel better for a bit of a time. They can get, devote themselves to entertainments and amusements to escape. You know, I like basketball. 
Guess what sport means? You look it up in the dictionary. Guess what sport means? I'll quote Webster. Sport, a source of diversion, a particular activity such as an athletic game to be so engaged in. A source of diversion. But when we are tired of this life and we enjoy this, this, the, inter the entertainment, the amusement, this could be what we live for, can't it? And it becomes almost work in and of itself, life in and of itself. Sports is life, basketball is life, football is life. There are websites called that. And it is just a diversion. But unbelievers look at it that way. Unbelievers can say, I can't wait till Friday. And then when Monday comes, unbelievers say, oh, it's Monday. I hate Mondays. Because they live for when? The weekend. Enjoyment. Fun. What about the believer? To enjoy life, a believer does not need a shiny new car. To enjoy life, a believer does not need palatial digs, a really fancy home. To enjoy life, a believer does not need name, brand, everything, and the latest and the greatest, the best of the best. The believer doesn't need job recognition or the highest position. What does the Christian rejoice in? What is the Christian content in? His daily bread. An honest day's work. Why? Because his focus is on who? On the Lord, not on things. And so he gives thanks for that daily bread in whatever he has because his contentment is not found in the things his contentment is found with the Lord. And guess what effect sin has upon God? None. And that's why, Christian, you can enjoy these things. A couple passages to write down along this line. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 30 to 31. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 30 to 31. Paul says, If I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? He's saying, why, am I, why are people giving me a hard time because I enjoy this food and I give thanks to God for it? Do you remember what he says in verse 31? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. People were attacking Paul for enjoying certain foods. They were saying, that's carnal, that's sinful. Why are you doing this? Another passage to write down, 1 Timothy 4 Verses 4 and 5, which we read a couple weeks ago. A similar situation, 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5. Every creature of God is good. Nothing's to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So the main point, the truth to learn, the bottom of your sheet here. Christian, you can, and I say must. You can and must sensibly, that's your blank there, sensibly, Enjoy life by submitting to Christ. You must, you can and must sensibly enjoy life 
by submitting to Christ. Why is this a must thing? Why is this a should thing? Who made you? The Lord made you. God made you in whose image? His image. And has God saved and redeemed you, Christian? Yup. He's saved, he's created and saved and redeemed you so that you would glorify him. Um, who made everything? God did. And why did God make everything? So that through that you would glorify him. This is not an optional issue. You must glorify God in the food that you eat, 1 Corinthians 10.31, in the beverages you drink, and in the work that you do. It's hard sometimes because of the effects of sin, and that would be another message, you know, how, how do we work through that? But remember, Paul said Colossians 3, I think it's verse 17, and all you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that to slaves. So somehow even a slave could find enjoyment in his work for the glory of God. That'd be a good sermon to preach through. But I want to close with four things here. How can you, how can, how you can and must enjoy God's gifts? And I give these to you so that you can uh, help teach others also. Number one, you must believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. You must believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. Number two, view. V-I-E-W. You must view creation as God's creation. You must view creation as God's creation. However much you have, whatever the quality, doesn't matter the quantity or the quality of it, it is given to you by God. View it as from God. So you must trust Jesus Christ. You must view everything as from God. And so number three, the response to that is thanks. You give thanks to God. He's given you new life. He saved you so that you can view everything, food, drink, and work, as from God. And so you give thanks to God. You meaningly, meaningfully express your gratitude to God for it. And then number four, sensibly enjoy. Sensibly enjoy. Sensibly enjoy. You participate in it for the reasons that God gave it. He doesn't give food so that you would be a glutton. Right? He doesn't give drinks so that you would, you know, use it wrongly. He doesn't give work so that you'd be a workaholic. He gives these things so that you will use them wisely. What's the S word I use here as a synonym for wisely? Sensibly, okay? For God's glory. So what does this mean, Christian? You should enjoy your spouse. You should enjoy your children. You should enjoy your grandchildren if you have them. You should enjoy your parents. You should enjoy the property that you have. You should enjoy the changing seasons. Because these are all gifts from whom? All gifts from the Lord. And give thanks to Him for them. Let's pray.